barbed wire stick. You might need to get that thing out of the, the, the sledgehammer. The Lakers got the sledgehammer off to the two by four. They go! They scored! They both hit each other, and the game falls back to Austin. Austin, wait a minute! Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we are going back in the time machine to February of the year 2001 to bring you the month's coverage of WWF TV and a full review of the No Way Out pay-per-view, the final WWF pay-per-view before we get to WrestleMania 17. Joining me for this month, we have on his first WWF show of the year, Rory McNamara. Rory, how are we doing? Doing very well, Chris. Great to be here to talk about February 01. Yeah, I mean, um, you missed a, a good show with the Rumble, but um, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, joining for No Way Out is no bad thing either. So I think it's safe to say the WWF has got on to a very good start to the year. Certainly. Um, Even though it means I'm following a show that got an average score rating of 9.5 last month. So yeah, no pressure on... A bit after the Lord Mayor's show, but we're, we're going to make the best of it. No Way Out... Has a pretty decent fist of that, so we'll see over the next couple of hours. I'll do my best. Would you uh, kindly take us through the month's news? I will indeed. Do you have the headlines there? Their football's crazy, their football's mad. And has the football robbed them of the wee bit sense they had? The XFL finally kicked off at the start of this month, but by the end of it, they may have been left wishing they had just booted the whole thing into touch a long time ago. Is that an appropriate reference for US football? I hope it is. The first week ratings were extremely encouraging, to the point where for every 10 households in the US, one was watching the XFL on the first Saturday, and the game the next day held up fairly well also. However, by the following Saturday, the ratings had fallen off dramatically, and by the final Saturday of the month, they rolled in at just 3.9 million, barely a quarter of the first-time viewing figures. NBC are sounding reasonably emollient with everything at the moment, but it is expected their patience will soon start to wear thin unless the ratings can rebound. As you would expect, media response for the quality of the output was largely negative. Here is Leonard Shapiro from the Washington Post. Shame on NBC. Shame on the network of the Olympics for selling out to the dark side of gratuitous violence, tawdry titillation and lousy football, otherwise known as the XFL. Now we know what the X stands for. Brand X and hardly worth wasting a perfectly decent Saturday night to watch. Okay, Even Vinny's old mate David Letterman was putting the boot in, saying the game wasn't extreme enough and was just football as usual. 
Indeed, much of the criticism falls down on either the side that there's not enough football or too much extreme stuff or not enough extreme stuff. See what I mean? Other negatives reported are regular technical glitches, situations such as Vince McMahon and The Rock doing in-character introductions for matches, and a commentary team for the mid-table games of, oh yes, Jim Ross and uh, Jerry Lawler, who by his own admission had zero interest in the sports he was supposedly announcing. Furthermore, viewers had to contend with a regular whirring sound on the broadcast, which turned out to be Howard Cosell bolting somersaults in his grave. The leak continues, at least for now. Cat flight and royal standards? Just before we went on air, the news broke of two departures from the WWF, one of which might well fall into the and nothing of value was lost category, and the other, well, probably does as well. After much internal wrangling over the direction of her character and the notorious being difficult to work with, the cat, Stacey Carter, was fired, and in support of his real-life wife, Jerry the King Lawler, walked out too, leaving a crown-shaped hole where the co-commentator used to be. Lawler had been openly boasting about getting the cat back on television with her right-to-nudity angle, because that's something to be proud of, so in addition to marital ties, it is very possible he took the slight personally. In any event, Vince McMahon is rumoured to be not especially disappointed at Lawler's departure, as he has been looking to get a younger, and hopefully less lecherous person in the booth for some time now. Until a permanent replacement comes along, possibly Taz, Jim Ross and Michael Cole will handle all commentary duties. And as a postscript to this story, Lawler is reported to have sent feelers out to WCW as of a couple of months ago, due to disgruntlement over pay and other issues. But, punchline, Brad Siegel had never heard of him. Oh my god, JR! Indeed. WrestleMania is the way out. Thank you. Uh, it's the way out for Steve Austin and The Rock, as it has been confirmed they will indeed fight for the WWF Championship in the main event of WrestleMania in Houston on April the 1st. In one of the worst kept secrets in wrestling, Kurt Angle dropped the title to The Rock in a scorching main event at the No Way Out pay-per-view in Las Vegas on February 25th, at a show that played host to an instant classic two out of three falls match between Steve Austin and Triple H. We will break down those matches and everything else on the card for you a little later on. Deep in the heartbreak kid of Texas. Yes, it's this question again. Will Shawn Michaels return at WrestleMania? Same again next year, everybody. But Michaels, after all this time, has officially signed a contract extension with the Federation. And as of writing, Triple H is without an opponent for WrestleMania. However, all parties involved are, at least publicly, stating that nothing has been confirmed. Read this. And here is Michaels himself on his website. I have not been contacted even once since I met with JR. I signed my new contract and have heard absolutely nothing, so your guesses are as good as anyone's. My guess is no one knows what or where to put me, and quite frankly, neither do I. None of the writers know me. I haven't been around for a long time. It's a tough situation. I think everyone should just be patient. It's always better to have a well-thought-out plan as opposed to just being thrown out there. He goes on. Being visually in shape and ring shape is very different. That's what I think I'm worried about most. I never used to blow up or get tired. Now, though, I just don't know. And his, what are euphemistically called maturity problems, are still a point of concern too, despite now being a married father. Michaels himself, though, seems happy to laugh them off, saying that if he ever did come back, he would still be a prick. So that's nice. Very reassuring stuff from Sean Michaels there. <laughs> 
Yeah, my uh, one take on the XFL this month from from a WWF perspective is that one of my favourite lines of the whole month of TV was Vince threatening the fans in the Georgia Dome that if they didn't <laughs> respect him, they would not be given a future XFL franchise. Oh, um, show them. Yes, yeah, <laughs> genuinely great stuff. Um, yeah, so from the news, if you are bringing Shawn Michaels back, you mentioned there uh, a certain uh, WWF main eventer doesn't currently have an opponent lined up for WrestleMania. Is it? Is it? We're thinking it could be a bit too late to get that match on the show this year because if you bring in, um, if you bring in Shawn back, Triple H has got to be the right opponent, hasn't he? I would have thought so, yeah. But Michaels himself, I think he is downplaying the situation there. I don't think he's just flying kites either. I think Michael sounds a little more downbeat than perhaps even he wanted to let on. It's been suggested in the sheets that a full Michaels return, again, almost certainly against Triple H, more than likely going to be SummerSlam. I think WrestleMania is a bit soon. But where that leaves my boy Mr. Levesque is anybody's guess at the moment. I bet you're, uh, yeah, heartbroken. About <laughs> so that they one. can take as long as they want to come up with an opponent for him. Maybe say April the second. <laughs> oh come on! After I, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it in in full and uh, particularly the finish when we get to our pay per view review. But even you must have appreciated that. I, I mean, you called it an instant classic in the news. That my own classic. words, everybody. My own no words. It really, out. really was. I'm genuinely looking forward to talking about it. Good stuff. And uh, yeah, so we'll get uh, to No Way Out by discussing some of the bigger newsworthy storylines that took place on WWF television. Uh, Just the one pay-per-view between now and WrestleMania 17, and that is No Way Out. And uh, as Rory again said in the news, having Austin versus Rock for the WWF title main event WrestleMania had been the plan for a long time. I believe we spoke about on this show months ago. And uh, and. It had been in the books, rightly so, but we started February with Kurt Angle as WWF champion. So uh, we're going to have to do some work to to get to WrestleMania with the uh, match in place. So on the first Raw of the month, Kurt teamed with The Rock to take on Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. Hunter and Austin, if you remember back to the end of last month, had signed a contract on Raw that stipulated they could not touch each other, no physical... Uh, violence between the two men ahead of the No Way Out pay-per-view. Austin would lose his WrestleMania title shot and Hunter would be suspended for six months if either man breached the contract. So a lot to lose for both of them. Ahead of that tag match on Raw, Angle found The Rock backstage and told him that if he does a good job, Angle could get him in a number one contenders match. The Rock is fine with that, but tells Angle that it, while it won't be tonight, The Rock will take that WWF title and there's nothing that Angle can do about it. So we get to that no disqualification tag match, which builds on and advances our two marquee feuds heading to No Way Out. Um, Angle and Rock come to blows during the match. Of course, these two are not contractually prohibited from doing so. We then get my favourite thing is that time again. The Big Show's music hits. And he comes <laughs> down to the ring. Angle throws the rock out to him. Big Show takes the rock out with a clothesline. And Angle is left against two. Hunter and Austin team up for a while and beat the shit out of Angle, to be frank. As Austin, uh, sorry, as Rock is helped to the back. Eventually, Angle whips Triple H into the ropes. But Austin leans down on them. So Hunter is sent outside. Eventually, Hunter hits a pedigree on Kurt. He's out cold. Austin gets in the ring and distracts the referee to prevent the pin. 
Hunter doesn't like this very much. He takes a punch at Austin, who ducks. Lucky for both of them. Angle takes advantage, nailing Hunter with a low blow, following up with a vicious chair shot to the head, and Hunter, uh, Hunter is covered and pinned by Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle wins the match. Austin hits Kurt with a stunner for good measure, and we go off the air with JR screaming about how Austin just watched his own partner get executed. I wouldn't go quite that far, but it was certainly a brutal chair shot. So that week on SmackDown, Vince opened the show. He booked The Rock versus Big Show for the right to face Angle for the WWF title at No Way Out. During that match, Angle and Show get into an altercation. Kurt had been on commentary, um, and Big Show throws Kurt over the barricade into the crowd. Later, with El Hebner down, Angle runs in. He cracks Big Show with a chair, goes for The Rock too, but misses. The Rock lays Kurt out, follows with a rock bottom on the Big Show, onto the chair, wins the match, and earns himself a WWF title shot against Kurt Angle at No Way Out. Rory, we knew we had to get here, um, and while I'm not doubting that it was very entertaining few weeks on TV, for me, for me, sorry, the uh, build to sort of rock and angle, while inevitable and while entertaining, was a little bit con polluted and a far departure from some of the the neat storytelling we had in the middle of the of, in the middle of the year 2000 um from the wwf what did you make of it yeah i think i'd agree with that the problem they really had with getting to angle rock this time is that as i said in the news it was so predictable that that's where this was heading that they tied themselves in knots really and they had two options they could have just said yep Rock's number one contender to Kurt Angle's title in February, or they could have tried to tell an elaborate story without putting a whole lot of thought into it, and that's never a great combination. And they chose the second option. Obviously, inserting your boy, Mr. White, in there. Mr. White, <laughs> probably muddied the waters for you somewhat as well, and I bet during that number one contender's match, admit it, pal, you were a little bit worried, weren't you? I was. I mean, we, I mean, we've been here before, right? Like we we had a we had a. We're not done with him yet either. We had a match last year at WrestleMania that could have easily been The Rock versus Triple H, and we inserted the McMahons and uh, my boy into the fold, as well as a returning Mick Foley, which I, I mean, I'm always a fan of. But yeah, uh, I think I've been scarred by that main event last year, and I'm. I was a little bit concerned, but I don't think lightning will strike twice. And I, don't, I can't imagine we're going to get to the 1st of April with a triple threat match with the big show thrown in with the rock. That, and that, that sound, that sound was me tapping the table on your behalf, Chris. So we'll <laughs> come back to this. We'll come back to it. Yeah. Just uh, back to the build for angle rock. I mean, I said when we were on our December show that I would have been surprised that if Angle was still WWF champion, even going into 2001. As it turned out, he was. He held it all throughout the month of January. And as soon as we got to the first Raws and SmackDown of Feb, we knew where this was going. It was just a matter of how they got there. And I think they just made it a little more difficult than it had to be. Yeah, I, I think um, they're so desperate to sort of lead us down a, a, a storyline that we we ended up getting a slightly messy one. I mean, you could easily just tell the story of booking a number one contenders match, but I think mixing it so tightly in with Austin and uh, Austin and Hunter kind of hurt it in a way. Um, I I mean, it, it's not what happened, but I was 
pretty much expecting uh, the WWF title match to go on in the middle of the show at No Way. Um, And it ended up being the other way around, which despite, um, like, I mean, definitely Austin and Hunter feeling like the bigger feud, I think the title should always go on last. So, I mean, I was pleased with that decision, but it was certainly a surprise to me. Of the two feuds, I mean, we've got one that's kind of a placeholder to get where we want to be at WrestleMania. And one that this is this kind of like long term blood feud that we're building up to kind of the ultimate payoff match. So I think it's only normal that that we would have one feel significantly significantly more important than the other. But I would kind of like it if it felt like at this stage um, the WWF title meant a little bit more. Um, and I think a large part of that is. At some point, I feel like Angle should have been given at least one decisive pay-per-view victory with the belt. Put him in there with a, a someone you don't mind beating. like Throw him in there with Benoit and have them have a good 20-minute match. I mean, you're going to get a good 20-minute match if oh, you yeah. put those two in there. And just have him win a decisive match. Um, something like that would have worked perfectly, but I suppose considering when he won the belt and what we've done with it since, the Armageddon match, the the match with Hunter at the Royal Rumble, and, and obviously now we have to get the belt on the rock. They kind of put themselves into a bit of a corner with it. But I think having the belt in a rock versus Austin situation immediately undoes any sort of degradation of the value of that title, and it immediately becomes the most important thing again. So it's not like a long-term significant problem. It's just something that I would consider maybe not optimal no, i agree so the rock has his title match but of course we still have to get austin versus hunter out of the way and we're yet to find out what the stipulation would be we were orig- originally going to have a representatives match to determine who had picked the stip for no way out vince drew some names he came out with billy gunn for austin and chris jericho for hunter this match didn't actually take place on the smackdown it was scheduled to after hunter assaulted billy with a fire extinguisher backstage after billy refused to lay down take the loss and allow hunter to choose the stip Vince decreed that there would be a representative's match on Raw, and he, this time he chose them himself. So he picked Rikishi, representing Steve Austin, and Triple H would be represented by The Rock. Seems a little one-sided, if you ask me. <laughs> but uh, Vince says that uh, whoever the re- whoever's representative wins the match, they'll get to name the stipulation and the terms for the match at No Way Out. Um, in that match... Austin and Hunter both attempt to interfere on behalf of their respective representatives. Austin eventually has enough of this and goes to confront Triple H. Stephanie tries to separate the two men. Uh, Austin shoves her aside. Stephanie responds with a slap. Austin decides to go after Stephanie, but Triple H stands stands in his way and reminds him how he can't touch him. Austin's pretty occupied by this, and it allows Rock to take advantage of not having a distraction from the outside, hitting Rikishi with a rock bottom and getting the free winning the match. So Triple H gets to pick the stips. That week on stat- that week on SmackDown, we got the stipulation announcement, and Triple H tells us there's a match with Austin. Will be two out of three falls, but it will be unlike any two out of three falls we've seen before. Triple H says the first fall will be a normal straight-up match. The second will be a street fight where anything goes. And the third will be a steel cage match. And the whole concept is now known as three stages of hell. The last two big angles that took place as we build to No Way Out 
uh, two of the most impactful, if you ask me. Obviously, Hunter and Austin can't lay hands on each other, but that did not stop Stone Cold Steve Austin hitting a stunner on Stephanie McMahon. Triple H responded to that by giving JR, Austin's best friend, a pedigree. Two massive emotional, emotive angles as we head to No Way Out. What did you make of the build to kind of this final sort of payoff, blow-off match for this rivalry and the stipulation that we've been given for No Way Out? Yeah, I think the build was tremendous. WrestleMania main event level, really, given the importance of the two people involved and how they would make sure that that importance was paid off. Probably tells its own story, but fully deservedly, I think. It's so simple, really, when you think about it. What's the best way to make people pay for a pay-per-view event where two guys are going to finally beat each other up once and for all? Well, I'll tell you what, on free TV, they're not going to beat each other up. They really patted themselves on the back for this storyline. It's staring you in the face, really. It should happen more often. But the fact it doesn't also meant they were able to really make a lot of it, and it worked as a continuous plot point from the start of the month all the way through to No Way Out. And I thought that was great. I thought Austin's antics to work his way around there were just the right side of taking it a little less seriously than he should. I think in the hands of anybody else, it would have just appeared he was just joshing with Triple H rather than really trying to wind him up. But they got they got through it the right way. Triple H's reactions were great in this one, must be said. Just getting more and more and more pure angry and vexed to the point where, I've got to say, I thought they were going to let it all go in the final SmackDown. And that's testament to how well it's been booked. I wouldn't have been happy if they had had a final throwdown, having lasted all that time without doing so but I almost would have forgiven them if they had but they didn't and that's even better didn't really love the whole stipulation representative matches the fact that went over a Smackdown and a Raw was a bit much and having Rock pinned the other dead man to choose the stipulations for another main event match just takes a little bit of swallowing but I'd have just had Triple H get to the stipulations another way to be honest I think it fit the story that he would pick them and he did his best and very successfully it must be said on the Smackdown to make it seem like the ultimate extreme that word again two out of three falls match to the extent where the expression which has now been doing the rounds of three stages of hell fit it very comfortably and they played this as close to perfectly as you could reasonably hope and if I'd had to pay for pay-per-views, I'd have been plonking them down on the Sunday, no question at all, because of how well this was built and put together. Yeah, I think you described this one perfectly as like a WrestleMania-level build, and that's what they've done here. Like, they, They've really been firing on all cylinders so far. Um, the TV is always like a decent level. Obviously, it varies across a Raw and a SmackDown. You've got some hit-and-miss storylines going on, but for Austin and Triple H is just all hit. Um, and I, I, I made a note of it in my No Way Out review, but the the um, video package for this match is one of the best I've ever seen them produce. Um, it's so good. And obviously, this feud, if, if you didn't have stars, <laughs> two stars as big as Rock and Austin, like this, this match is kind of the perfect WrestleMania main event in any other year, really. Um, and Triple H is probably, in the grand scheme of things, a little hard done by in in terms of 
the fact we get to the end of the month and we don't know what we're doing with him and we're just four weeks away from WrestleMania and uh, he's been as good as he has been in, in the last 14 months and uh, as as more than played his part and upheld his side of the bargain when it comes to the, the feud with, with Austin. Um, that isn't to say that I would change that main event at all or, or throw Triple H in there. Um, when you have The Rock as popular as he is as a face and Austin as popular as he is as a face and you've got them both at the same time, there's only one match that makes the most business sense and it's putting them against each other um and having kind of this like dream match um which yeah is definitely the right way to go but i do think triple h maybe can count himself a tad unlucky that any other year he would be the the heel going into any go, going into a wrestlemania main event against stone cold steve austin and instead he's kind of left without plans considering the quality of his work um, both in the ring and on the mic and within angles and whatnot leading to this match. So with that in the books, it is time to review the No Way Out show. Rory, could you kick us off with the results, please? I shall indeed. So No Way Out emanated from the Thomas and Mack Centre in Las Vegas on the 25th of February. And here are the results. In our opening match, the Big Show defeated Raven for the Hardcore Championship. Don't worry, Chris. It's only the hardcore title. Chris Jericho defeated Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero and X-Pac in a fatal four-way match to retain the Intercontinental Championship. Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley defeated Trish Stratus in a singles match. And yes, in the middle of the show, Triple H defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin 2-1 to one in their three stages of hell match. So, 39 so, minutes. Yep. Sorry, did you say Triple H defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin in the I middle did. of the show? I did. And believe me, I'll be saying it again in about half an hour's time. <laughs> so, some of my thoughts on that might surprise you but we'll get there Stephen Richards defeated Jerry Lawler in a singles match meaning the cat had to join the RTC and you've already found out how that eventually turned out the Dudley boys defeated the Brothers of Destruction as Kane and the Undertaker are now being known and Edge and Christian in a triple threat tag team tables match to retain the tag team championship and in our main event, The Rock defeated Kurt Angle to become the WWF champion going into WrestleMania. What did you make of the show, Rory? I'd be very happy for the year. If we didn't have WrestleMania coming up next, I'll give them a chance there. When we get to WrestleMania, I'd be perfectly happy just to call time on the year 2001 because I trust WrestleMania is going to be excellent. You heard it here first. If it's not, the Royal Rumble was and so was No Way Out. If we can complete the triumvirate there when we get to April the 1st, we need not detain ourselves any further with these shows. Don't worry, everybody, we will. We're going to be going on for the very, very long haul. But so far, an emphatic two for two from the WWF. And let's just hope they can keep it going. It's a high bar, but I'm momentum-wise, I'm with them taking it into the very big show because I would have had few problems if people had been going at it 70 80%, saving themselves for WrestleMania, but they treated this like a true A-grade pay-per-view in every way, shape, and form. And it was another, that word again, instant classic. It was a great event. Yeah, uh, just maybe one notch behind yeah. the rumble for me, yeah, but the genuinely just an excellent show. And I think any any pay-per-view, when compared to a rumble show, which is, it has the rumble match on it, which, as we know, goes over an hour. And, like, 
for that reason, you're only going to have four other matches on the card. If you take the two worst matches off of this, then it's probably the same level as the Rumble. It's just got a few bits and pieces here or there that maybe drag down the average rating just slightly. But um, its peaks are absolutely as high in quality as that Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Um, yeah, three matches, which we don't often do star ratings on here, but three matches comfortably above the four mark for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of others that were really fun as well and like an unexpectedly so like stephanie and trish more than held their own in what was i i thought like far better than it had any right to be wwf title match was obviously brilliant three stages of hell was great um intercontinental title match was was great and the tag title match was a load of fun and when you've got five matches that good it's it's one hell of a show and you're uh yeah you don't mind uh Matches like that make pay-per-views worth paying for. So, um, yeah, two for two on excellent shows for the WWF so far in 2001. We are welcome to the Thomas and Max Center by the usual duo of JR and Lawler, while the opening video packages hype up the WWF title match and the three stages of hell. Our opening match sees Raven defend his hardcore title against the big show. Raven comes out with his music first, bringing a cart full of weapons to the ring. The mystery woman, Ninja, that's with Raven, tries to attack Show with a 2 by 4 on the ramp, but he fights her off. Raven takes the opportunity to attack with a stop sign, but Show ends up beating him with it, and they go back to the ring. Raven manages to take control with a fire extinguisher, but then is attacked by Crash Holly, who is disguised as a popcorn vendor. The 24-7 rule applies um, during the match even as Crash runs in and tries to pin Raven. Show crushes Crash, then hits a final cut on Raven, but is prevented prevented from getting the pin by Steve Blackman, who runs down with his sticks and takes down Big Show. Hardcore Holly runs out. He tries to beat down Show with two trash can lids, followed by Steve Blackman coming off the top rope with a kendo stick to Show's head. Billy Gunn runs in, he hits a famous on Raven and gets the free count and it's the new hardcore champion. Blackman and Holly turn their attention to Gunn, hit a side slam top rope leg drop combo on him. The two fight amongst themselves over getting the cover as Raven crawls in, gets the pin and wins back his belt. Big Show then clears the ring, he goes after Raven. The ninja runs down with a 2x4 again but this time followed by Molly Holly, hits her over the head with a trash can lid and takes her out of the match. Raven uses the distraction to lay in some shots with a trash can, but Show grabs him by the throat, chokeslams him onto the trash ta- can, gets the cover and the win. He's the new hardcore champion. Billy Gunn does try his best to take out, take the hardcore title off the Big Show after the match, but Show takes the title, heads back Gunn and leaves. Rory, what did you make of this opener? And all is right with the world. Yeah, um, it's, it's uh, only 4.20. They did pack a lot in there, probably to hide the obvious limitations of one of the people involved in this match. I will leave it up to the good graces of the listeners to decide to who I'm referring there. Now, this is fine. It's it's the hardcore division, isn't it? It could be one of either two things. It's going to be taken semi-seriously if somebody like Steve Blackman holds the belt. And now, dare I say it, now the big show is holding it, or you're going to treat it like... A bit of a first round, it's a knockout 1978 sort of thing. And that's what we get here. If you're only going to make that four minutes worth, then you might as well. And opening match of a pay-per-view is a decent enough place to put it. It's really hard to know what to say about these. We've become so used to them over the last 
year and a bit, certainly since the 24-7 rule came in, that they do speak for themselves. And at the same time, they say more than you could really ever hope for them to say. But they're good fun. They, they don't outstay their welcome. When this was tried in a certain other organisation, they almost took it too seriously too often. And even to this very day on their pay-per-views, they have hardcore matches that go 10 to 12 minutes, sometimes even on TV. And what they should be is lost very, very quickly. But if you're going to get this done, just do it in four minutes and have our boy winning the hardcore title. Should be said, Chris, and I'm sure you'll be very pleased to hear me say that the Big Show himself is effectively on probation right now. Jim Ross himself has been entrusted with watching him very, very closely. I don't know who the Big Show's probation officer is. I hope it's not one of his namesakes, let's say that. Otherwise, he might not be too long for this federation. Yeah, uh, to be honest, um, I'm kind of fine with him being used in this way. Like, he he is quite limited um, in the ring. and But he, he, like, is quite a charismatic bloke. Like, he's quite good at the comedy spots here or there, kind of like the plunder and the weapons and the franticness and the chaos of like this hardcore belt, especially with the 24 seven rule. Like it kind of just suits him being in there as the giant. Like you can have loads of men, lots of weapons and plunder. And then he like roars his way out of it, hits a choke slam through some weapon and like wins. It's kind of like fine. Like keep it to four minutes, keep him in this spot for a while. Um, I'm kind of okay with it. This was obviously a mess, but like when you have a 24-7 rule with a belt in a hardcore match and you've got all these people running in, it's always going to be a mess. That's kind of the point. And this was still fun, um, which I think is key. And like you say, keeping it to sort of that four-minute length is is ideal as well. Um, I thought this was all right as an opener. Like uh, I think when you have like expectation of it just being a bit of a, hardcore mess and that's what you get and then fair enough um i think it was quite a satisfying uh end and uh i kind of like that it isn't well the big show gets the pin on raven and then the match is over and everyone leaves <laughs> like people keep going the 24 7 rule is is demonstrated that just because the big show has has got that pin it the, the matches kind of continue in a in another sense so uh, yeah i i uh kind of quietly surprised with this one i didn't hate it which maybe on paper i might have thought that i would <laughs> match two uh heading uh, heading into match two i should say uh, we get a backstage interview with kurt um he tells us that las vegas has the highest percentage of losers in the usa which is fitting because he's going to be adding the rock to that number we cut to lillian garcia she's asking benoit and eddie how they're going to coexist in their fatal four-way that's up next eddie says it's all about the intercontinental title and he's going after jericho as he's the one who took him out of action uh, benoit says that the two of them one of the two of them will be walking away with the belt so we do have that fatal four-way next Chris Jericho defended the Intercontinental title against Benoit, Guerrero, and X-Pac. Quick start with Jericho launching Eddie into the corner. Ben Benoit makes the save. 
and chops it out with Jericho. The Radicals team up against Jericho until X-Pac comes in. He tries the X-Factor on Benoit, but Benoit quickly counters and gets the crossface before Jericho breaks it up. Eddie and X-Pac fight on the top rope, but Eddie just shoves him back in and hits the frog splash in a great spot, but Jericho saves the pin again. Tensions run high between Eddie and Benoit as Eddie saves Jericho from taking the fall. Jericho cuts off a Bronco Buster with a missile dropkick, but Benoit hits him with a German suplex and gets two. Eddie saves, and this ends his alliance with Benoit in the match. He gets two off a backdrop suplex before a brain buster sets up another frog splash, but Benoit cuts him off and hits a suplex. Jericho and X-Pac both crawl into covers and only get two. Benoit and Jericho back to chopping each other, prompting Lawler to admit that he'd be tapping out right there and then. Benmar avoids the face buster, counters it with another German suplex, but this time gets two again. Jericho starts hitting the walls of Jericho on everyone. Just Incredible runs in. He distracts Jericho to ensure X-Pac doesn't tap out. Benoit takes advantage by hitting a dragon suplex on Jericho. Credible and X-Pac then team up. They superkick Benoit on the outside, leading to a line salt on Eddie by Jericho. X-Pac makes the save. He hits an X-Factor. Benoit returns, knocks Credible to the floor before getting a crossface on X-Pac. Eddie makes the save with a brutal-looking neck snap. Benoit hits Eddie with the diving headbutt, but he stands up right into a spinning kick from X-Pac. Jerko sneaks in, rolls X-Pac up for the free count, and retains his title after 12 minutes of action. Rory, your thoughts? Yeah, this is how you do it, especially from Chris Jericho's perspective, which I'll get to in a second. The action here was tremendous, and... In that respect, it's probably best to try to ignore the wider context this match took place in, although it is my duty to bring it up. Uh, All four of these extremely talented guys, in many ways, are thrown together in a fatal four-way match, second from the bottom of a B pay-per-view. We've been saying it for a few months now, and I think I've more come round to Dan's thinking, Reed Benoit, that he might well be stuck in this role for even longer than perhaps... I was really hoping he was going to be. But it does mean any combination of these four guys will give us some high-quality in-ring action. That was certainly the case here. I think this was a very good match for Jericho because when he's in there with people who are better than him, which is certainly the case for Benoit and Guerrero, and it's a toss-up with X-Pac as well, to be perfectly honest, who I think has been excellent since he's come back, then Jericho will raise his game. He will give his maximum effort. His sloppiness, which can be his won't, almost entirely excised when he's in there with somebody he knows he has to bring his very best to. Absolutely the case here. The finest exchanges, as perhaps you would expect, is when Benoit and Guerrero were in the ring. Led me to hoping we're going to get a proper feud and some high-quality four-plus stuff, four-star-plus stuff from them before too long. If I've watched the TV correctly the day after this, looks like they're teasing dissension. One of them will be breaking off, perhaps going face soon, so... Eddie versus Benoit matches could be coming our way very, very soon. Licks lips. But what we got here was excellent. So X-Pac doesn't look like he's missed a beat. I think he's almost improved, to be perfectly honest. Timing in this match was really good. Finish was very smart as well. Jericho escapes with the title. He looks clever and resourceful, but nobody is made to look bad by it. You know, he caught a quick roll up on X-Pac when he had the chance in there. Run off with the belt. Perfect. Really good 12 minutes. I could have used a lot more of this, like I think most people listening to it, listening to this show. But just keep our fingers crossed. I think we're going to get some other combinations of these four very, very shortly on pay-per-view, and I hope so. If so, this was a very, very good start 
for that run. But as I say, don't expect to see them in the latter stages of pay-per-views anytime soon, I'm afraid. Yeah, I thought this was a really great match. Um, and to be honest, it's what you expect when you put these guys in the ring together. Um, I felt like Benoit and Jericho were definitely the focus. And Eddie and X-Pac just kind of like works around that and gave us some sort of fun variation on the feud that we've had between Benoit and Jericho. And obviously coming off that ladder match, this is drastically different from that, but still a highly entertaining match. It was stiff, creative, frantic pace, people dropping in and out. Everyone hit their spots. All the timing was bang on. Um, Yeah. For a second of the match, sorry, second on the card match, you can't really ask for more. Um, So two thumbs up. Before we get to our third match, we see Vince McMahon suggesting to William Regal that he should do the right thing in the upcoming Trish versus Stephanie match. After Vince left, it was clear that poor William Regal had no idea what Vince meant by this. So next up, we do have the Trish Stratus versus Stephanie McMahon Helmsley match. As you'd expect with this quite heated rivalry, they come right out on a brawling. Steph spears Trish, slams her on her head. She pulls from her hair out of Trish's head uh, before Trish bails and tosses Stephanie into the crowd. But Steph comes back with a clothesline. Trish drops Stephanie uh, Stephanie's neck over the ropes as she attempts to get back into the ring. Trish beats up on Stephanie uh, with some hard slaps and boots in the corner. She hits a bulldog, but only gets two. Steph fights back, but Trish hits a DDT once again, but uh, but once again, Steph kicks out. Trish sits on the top turnbuckle and performs a, a choke on Stephanie, lifting her in the corner, but Steph is able to throw her off the top before throwing her, yeah, throwing her to the outside, hitting her head off the announce table. She throws a pitcher of water from the announce table over Trish. Trish fights back with some kicks, throws her into the announce table before they take it back inside the ring. Trish goes for the Hurricane Rana, but Stephanie counters into a powerbomb, and Trish kicks out. Steph then pulls down Trish's wrestling shorts to reveal her thong and spanks Trish. Stephanie then attempts to take off Trish's top, but Trish manages to scramble to the corner, and the referee separates them. They take each other out with a double face buster. While the both women are down, Regal comes to the ring. He trips the ref, then puts Trish on top of Stephanie. He considers his actions, thinks better of it, and then puts Steph's leg on the rope because he really has no clue. Trish was upset, slaps Regal, so Regal drops her with a neck breaker. Stephanie's up, she gets the cover, and wins the match after around eight minutes. Rory. Okay. I'm going to, I think, surprise a lot of people when I say what I'm going to say now. I'm not surprised that this match was so good. Think about it. If Daddy's Little Girl has got a match on pay-per-view, you know that the big fella is going to pull out all the stops to make sure that it's quality. I'm sure if we ever found out who the agent was for this match, we would probably discover that it was everybody on the roster. I have no doubt at all that everybody who was able to give some advice was able to give it, and it would only be the very, very best. But that is not in any way to take away from the performance of both women in this match. They had a lot to remember here. Many, many marks to hit. And although the match was fairly short at eight minutes, that means for for Stephanie's and Trisha's perspective that there wasn't much room for manoeuvre. They only had eight minutes to get them all in and get them all right. And they really did. 
I've said it before about Trish. The effort she brings in the ring is quite admirable. And if anybody was holding this match together, then it was her, I think. Again, I'm sure she was instructed in no uncertain terms to make sure that happened, but she did so. Maybe a little generous for some of your descriptions there, Chris. I'm not sure I would call Stephanie's tossing of the garbage a powerbomb, but we are where we are. We can't expect miracles here. Again, really good timing on this match. The wrestling, inverted commas, was just enough of that to counter the obvious TNA stuff with the water pitcher and the thong being pulled up and all of that, which we were always going to get. And they needed to be there to cover for any of the obvious limitations. I think it played in brilliantly with the story with with Regal not knowing whether or not he was doing the right thing and settled on what he hoped was the right option. That becomes very important tomorrow as well, which is great. And if Smarbus, you said it was better than it had any right to be in a vacuum. There it is again. That's certainly true. But two things really certain about this. One, it was always going to be as good as it could possibly be. And number two, the woman at the end who got her hand raised. Were you shocked by that? Oh, not at all. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that was a given. Um, you know, really, really good. Great effort from both women. I, 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 even if I wanted to, I couldn't take anything away from this match. It was really, really tremendous. They gave it their all out there. Yeah, and I, I think it definitely helps that the two of them have kind of been on TV so much. They've got like quite big, well-rounded personalities at this stage of both of their characters. And like the crowd kind of like is invested in the feud and like it has ultimately has Vince McMahon and the McMahon family at the heart of it so it's always going to be a big deal so I think you're right to point out that when a feud even if it is between well not necessarily non-wrestlers but people with very very little wrestling experience um and you have a match between those two and it's going to go eight minutes on pay-per-view if it's got the McMahons at the heart of the storyline then they're going to make it work somehow um so maybe my surprise was slightly misplaced i think but i that again still doesn't take away from trish and steph um both being able to pull off the match and obviously it had like some silly spots in there that you'd expect um from these two but i yeah i just think this was the type of match that not necessarily with steph involved but a year ago you'd have a match with, with, say, two women with about as much combined wrestling experience as, well, no, two women with, in, in some examples, with women with much more wrestling experience than either of these two. And the match would be like, make you turn off your TV level of bad. Like, whereas this was really good and a, and a genuine benefit to the card. Um, so excellent work from these two. I kind of like Regal in this like absolute idiot role, <laughs> like has no idea what he's meant to be doing, or at least that's kind of what we're led to believe at this stage. Um, and yeah, more on that on the raw that follows. But yeah, um, I didn't expect anything from this and it more than delivered. So yeah, credit to everyone involved, which as you point out, Rory, is probably a lot of people. <laughs> no doubt. 
Backstage, Regal does bump into Vince, who shouts at him, saying that he thought he knew what he wanted. Uh, Vince challenges Regal to a match on Raw, but then decides to make it a tag match. Trish on his team and Stephanie on Regal's team. More on this after the pay-per-view review. So it's time, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's time for the three stages of Hell match between Austin and Triple H. So uh, the idea here that they built up based on the stipulations that were selected is that Hunter had the advantage in that first fall, just the, the regular match. Because it was a street fight, Austin would have an advantage in the second, and the third would kind of act as the tiebreaker. The video package, I said it before, but um, I've got it here. Just a sensational video package, one of the best they've ever done. Really hyped this up to feel like one of the biggest matches they've given us in a long time. So the first fall, standard rules, and of course we get a slugfest to start. Austin gets the early advantage, but Hunter's able to avoid a stunner. Austin goes for a Fez Prez, but gets hot shot on the ropes. Austin hits a single arm DDT before ramming Hunter's shoulders into the post and hitting an arm breaker. Hunter eventually looks for a pedigree, but Austin working over the arm pays off and he's unable to hit it. Uh, Austin takes over again with a spine buster, but Triple H gets a boot up to block a double axe handle attempt. Triple H starts going for the neck, but then after a chop block decides to focus and work over on Austin's knee. Another chop block takes Austin down further and uh, Hunter splashes the leg on the ropes. Triple H then puts Austin in a figure four using the ropes when El Hebden's not looking. Austin eventually turns over the hold and Hunter's quickly able to get to the ropes to break the hold. Austin manages to come back, knocks down Triple H, drop his knee on Triple H's face multiple times. We hear Hunter call a couple of spots, which prompts Ross to cover by saying they're talking trash. Austin and Hunter go back and forth. Triple H counters multiple stunner attempts. In the corner, Hunter hits a low blow. He goes up to the second rope, looks for an axe handle, but gets a kick to the gut. Austin hits the stunner and wins the first four of the match after 12 minutes. The rules are now out the window and Austin smells blood. He suplexes Hunter on the steel ramp twice before they head round the ring to the announce table. Austin hits him with a monitor shot. Hunter tries to run, but Austin tracks him down and throws him back inside the ring. Hunter grabs a chair, but Austin steals it and beats the hell out of him with it. It's absolutely vicious. He unloads with chair shots. A proper beatdown. Austin goes back to the announce table. He finds a barbed wire 2x4. Hunter takes it away from him and busts Austin open with it. A roundhouse sends Austin spilling over the table before Triple H picks him up and goes for a pedigree on the announce table, but his arm is still hurt. This allows Austin enough time to backdrop Hunter through the Spanish announce table in a great spot. Hunter crawls into the ring to escape, but Austin sneaks the ring belt. Uh, but sorry, Hunter sneaks the ring belt in with him. Austin tries to capitalize, but Aust- uh, Hunter pops up and smashes Austin with the ring belt, which gets two. Austin tries a sleeper, but Hunter backdrops him on a nearby chair for two. Hunter goes for yet another pedigree, but Austin backdrops him to the floor. Austin finds a chair and absolutely drills Hunter with with it in the face, an absolutely brutal chair shot again. Hunter slams Austin into the steps and finds a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer, but misses with his first attempted shot. They head back in where Austin stomps a mud hole. He goes to the stunner, but Hunter shoves in away. He hits him between the eyes with the third hammer and finishes with a pedigree. And we are tied at 1-1 after around 28 minutes. And we move straight into the third match, uh, third fall, which is a cage match. 
Austin's out of it after the sledgehammer shot. So, and Hunter Hunter throws him into the cage. The barbed wire two by four is still there. Hunter shoves it into Austin's face. Austin reverses things by sending Hunter into the cage and ripping his face open with a barbed wire. Austin unloads with a flurry of rights, which get two, and prompts Triple H to try and escape the cage. But JR notes that you can't win this war by escaping the cage. Austin stops him anyway, but gets uh, and uh, but gets crotched on the rope. Austin eventually yanks uh, Hunter down and goes for the stunner. Hunter is able to reverse. He hits a pedigree, but it gets 2.9. Really good near fall there. Triple H knocks Austin out with a chair again, goes for another pedigree, but Austin counters, catapults Hunter into the cage. Austin gets another stunner, and we get another 2.9. Very, very good near fall. Austin crawls and gets the 2x4 barbed wire bat. Uh, Hunter grabs a sledgehammer. They both swing at each other and connect at the same time. Both men collapse, and it just so happens that Hunter falls on top of Austin. Both men are out, but the referee counts the pin. We get one, two, three, and after nearly 40 minutes, Triple H is our winner. Rory, what did you make of this match and that finish? <laughs> that finish. Bravo, Chris. That wasn't an easy one yet again for writing notes on. You've drawn a few short straws on these ones. So another sterling job. So well done, sir. Epic indeed. Yeah, this goes to show how important the build is or should be for high stakes pay-per-view matches between two of your blue ribboned competitors. It's not enough to just think that you can effectively throw them out there. I'm sure you'd get a very good match if you did, but the importance of the last month of the build and everything which was put into that magnificent video package, which took us all the way back to Survivor Series 99, just added to the importance. It was built into this match. Everything from Austin being run over all the way to the let's call it the dissatisfying ending to their Survivor Series 2000 match, although your mileage may vary, <clears throat> present company possibly included. That was both a factor or factors in this match, and it was separate. It wiped the memory of their Survivor Series match completely, and this is what that should have been. Pure intensity, just dripping with hatred. Every punch, every kick, and in fairness, there weren't much else other than punches and kicks, other than a few chair shots and maybe the odd neck breaker in this match. But that didn't matter. This felt as important a match as it could possibly be. When I said it was WrestleMania-style build, that's parlayed into a WrestleMania-style main event in the middle of a B-level pay-per-view. Because this is what it's come to. These two men despise each other. Look what they've been doing to each other over the last 15 months. And now, finally, they get the chance, legal recourse, to do whatever they want to each other. Now, this is their own categorical imperative, if you like. And here's their chance for 40 minutes. And they took it, both from a character standpoint and from the standpoint of putting together a memorable, instant classic match. Brilliantly timed match came in at 39 minutes in total so you're looking at about 12 to 14 per fall i think starting with a wrestling match was very smart i think the way that they had each person win the fall you wouldn't expect them to was sensible booking as well and it felt like a true war of attrition that they really were just 
wearing the other one down with everything available to them, be it a fist, be it a foot, be it a ring bell, be it the table, just anything at their disposal. And it didn't feel overly gratuitous because this style of match is one we've become very, very used to, too used to really over the last three years. Uh, I was able to separate all of those other matches from this one where all of that stuff was there here because it needed to be. This was that sort of match that required into the red violence and we got it and they managed to hold it for a really, I would say two thirds of this match. And that's about half an hour already enough to put it into match of the year territory. They, no quarter asked or given from both of these guys. And it was, I think it was everything you could want it to be. I do have a couple of quibbles before we get to the finish. And I feel like a bit of a heel myself for bringing them up, but we've got to try to be balanced on this show. Number one, I don't really think it's their fault. They, slightly ran out of ideas when it came to the cage match i couldn't remember much else there other than the finish it was a little tacked on i know you needed to have a third fall but they'd expunged all the really good stuff all the really violent stuff same thing in the first two falls so it was a little perfunctory second of all you did bring it up there chris to borrow a line from my boy del boy can you call your spots any louder guys then they'll be able to hear you in the door doing so that was a problem, although JR did try to cover. And thirdly of all, we do have the finish. With a following wind, okay, I could see the reasoning behind this one. You know, that, now, that really did surprise you, didn't it, dear listener? But I could. Austin's winning. This is no spoiler nor a prediction for WrestleMania 17. Austin is beating The Rock. In the main event of WrestleMania, The Rock is going off to shoot a movie shortly afterwards. Won't be back until probably a little before SummerSlam. So Austin's winning the title. He is going to he is going to require a heel challenger, a backlash. They're not going to go face uh, face v face with The Rock again, even if he was still there. I think Angle's going to be out of the title picture for a little while. I can't really see anybody else on that level yet. So. Triple H having a win to his name to kick off the night after Mania to build to a match at Backlash. Okay. He says, <laughs> italicized, okay. <laughs> and secondly, it was a wafer-thin victory. You know, If he had, after 40 minutes, popped up, blasted Austin with the pedigree, pinned him one, two, three in the middle, then you can guess my reaction. You'd only be able to visit me at evenings and weekends, let's say that. But it could have gone either way. They both went with their weapons. It was milliseconds in the context of the match, and Triple H just happened to fall on top. In its own right, it was a bit dissatisfying, but it was played up as almost the luck of the devil at the end or something, and that was fine. So there are a few mitigating circumstances here, but I don't want anybody to think that the slate is wiped clean. One situation which I can possibly explain away if I really make myself do it doesn't make up for the previous 100 so it's not game over in that respect but regardless of what you might think about the finish this was one of the matches of the year one of the matches of any year one of the very best we've covered like maybe not necessarily one for the purist but it delivered on its promise it worked its build into the match and it was everything that the characters involved would you would realistically expect them to make this match like quite simply a blood-soaked fucking war for 40 minutes. And it was immensely satisfying. 
And if somehow you missed it, well, you know what to do. Yeah, this was a, an absolute classic. Um, really violent, perfectly fitting to the story of the rivalry between the two and all the more satisfying by having a build-up where they weren't able to fight each other and hit each other with their respective finishers and weapons on TV in the like five weeks leading up to it, I would say. Um, look, if you came to me, <laughs> if I if I was booking this match or as an agent for this match and, and Vince McMahon come up to me and says, look, we need Hunter to go over in the three stages <laughs> of Hell match, uh, and the reasoning being, as you like rightly point out, logically makes sense. Um, Austin's going to be winning the title, and we want Hunter to be the first challenger. So we don't want to give Austin the big dev- decisive win here. Um, it, it, in in that scenario, Hunter's going to win. Then this is the perfect finish for that, isn't it? Like, if there's no room to change the outcome, and H- Hunter is going to win this match this is the perfect finish because it plays into the stip in, 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 in a sense. Um, and it was kind of befitting the violence that had preceded it. And it was just at the end of the day, sheer luck. It wasn't this like decisive pedigree pinfall one, two, three that it could have been. Um, and I think, a part of me thinks that, 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 that this finish the other way, also would have made more sense though like you could do the exact spot have austin just land with an arm draped over hunter and hunter hunter after mania the night after comes out you didn't really beat me though did you like and and it makes sense because the actual pinfall to end the second fall was um the pedigree wasn't it so the, the the final definitive pinfall um rather than just the luck of the draw was the pedigree at the end of the street fight. So you could do this finish exactly the same and still use that to build a post WrestleMania storyline for the title between the two, which in my book would be better because Austin is about to wrestle main event WrestleMania uh, challenging for the title. Um, And in my book, whatever the February pay-per-view is, whatever the match is, that fact alone should be enough to mean that you're picking up a W at that show. Um, But I thought the finish worked in storyline. It worked as a a good way to win the match. I suppose it it maybe wasn't the most satisfying and, but I think by the time you'd been through the 40 minutes of violence we had to just end on a stunner one, two, three, also may have been a bit well I'd, I'd never call a stunner flat but the the idea of that like we'd seen a stunner plenty of times at that point we'd had blood we'd had barbed wire there were yeah. weapons like if you were going to have a definitive finish i feel like it needs to be some sort of stunt spot at that stage yeah so that, this i finish... think a stunner i agree totally yeah i think a stunner would almost be too easy at that point yeah maybe save that for when he does go over him in two months time said he hopefully yeah in a 20 minute match in backlash then have austin win it clean with the stunner yeah yeah i i think even though you could potentially pick holes and flaws with this finish and the outcome you can also explain it all away logically in a way that makes everything make sense and 
I mean, I expected myself to be really deflated, confused, and disappointed when Hunter won. I, I that was kind of like my expected reaction to to the outcome of this match. But I too, which I'm sure will shock you all again. <laughs> <laughs> but with the benefit of a bit of hindsight and clarity and a bit of time, like. I think it. I think it all makes sense, I'm, and I'm perfectly satisfied by all of it. And like you say, if the Rock's going away, Austin needs that challenger. Unless you're going to try and heat up Undertaker or Kane in the next few weeks, but it doesn't seem to be like where they're going with either of them. And then this is the way you do it. So, yeah, I, I think this is an absolute classic and. We're in February and the potential match of the year list is getting quite full already um, after the rumble in this show. So credit to both men, credit to everyone who had a hand in booking and writing um, this feud and all the TV that played into it and made the match mean so much more. Um, Credit to the video package guy for, again, I'm going to call it out, one of the best ones I've ever seen. Um, And Austin and Hunter delivered, um, in my opinion, one of the best matches I've covered on this show. Next up, and I cannot believe we have to cover this following following that classic, which normally would be like the close of a show, end of a pay-per-view main event. But we have Jerry the King Lawler taking on Stephen Richards with Ivory. So the story here, um, I think we've touched on it in the news with what happens the night after this, um, but the cat had been feuding with the right to censor. She's repeatedly prevented by those from her attempts to strip. So Lawler, as we know, the cat's real-life husband, he comes to her aid, and that results in this match. So the stipulation here is that if Lawler lost, the cat would join RTC, and if he won, she would be allowed to strip. So Taz comes down and replaces Lawler on commentary. I don't really want to talk about this match at any <laughs> You know I'm what sorry. you signed up for, Chris. I'm sorry. Yes. But, um, Lola dominates for the most part uh, in the early going. Ivory eventually tries to get involved uh, and distract the referee so Richards can hit Lola with a woman, with either the woman's title or a steel chair. But Lola prevents it. Ivory then gets in the ring. Uh, Lawler body slams her, tries to go after her, but the referee tries to get her out of the ring. Cat then picks up the title belt, goes to hit stevie with it but he uh ducks and she hits lawler richards then gets the cover one two three and he wins the match the rest of rtc run in the ring put the cat in a sack and carry her out of the arena rory what did you make of all this i made that seven sentences of notes there chris so going above and beyond i feel like i served seven sentences watching this match thank you Uh, (laughs) i just uh, when thought and i thought about it many times of stevie richards making his solo debut on a wwf pay-per-view i imagined it happening about a month later in the year and he definitely wasn't facing jerry lawler he was facing a another holding the wwf championship belt the match lasted 10 seconds and then world peace and everything else was restored and we all went on our merry way (laughs) maybe next year everybody yeah this on the other hand is what we got and this was tripe. I'm going to give the crowd a lot of credit here because there's very little else I can divvy out to anybody in that I didn't get the sense that they were particularly enamoured with one of the potential outcomes of this match. And I think that's quite refreshing. I mean, with the cat, you know, we've seen it all before, as the saying goes anyway. Uh, just look what they've been through. I'm all for a cool down match if you're going to have 
the ultimate A-grade main event pay-per-view match in the middle of a B-show. I understand that. But just this tripe trying to squeeze the last, maybe even the first golden drops out of the right to censor, who've been running on fumes since August, really. And now the one time they actually have an actual storyline, you know, the cat was the cat and she has indeed been put in a sack. Again, thank you very much. I am here all week. But there's nothing to talk about this match at all. It's just complete and utter flim flam. I think it's probably best for everybody. And I do include the king in that. What happened behind the scenes today, by all accounts, really. I think that's very sensible. I can see the RTC being split up very soon. We can only hope. Hope they have something more to do for Ivory. Obviously, Stevie, this is the start of something big. <laughs> Keep dreaming, man. And getting Lawler away from the announce booth. Probably not the means most expected it was going to happen. But again, I think the time has been coming. It's been more than coming for probably about two years now. And I think the time away will do him and most importantly, our earlobes good. But uh Went around the houses to get there, including this fucking awful match. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought I was surprised, considering how garbage this all was, that the crowd were pretty into it. But I suppose... I don't know. Like, I I, I don't really know what the reasoning behind that is. Um, I thought... Lawler, like, not that I expect him to look any other way, really, but I thought he looked really sloppy. I thought he was like, his timing was off. And yeah, um, we've, yeah, we've spoken about this too long, and, and especially considering the, the storyline this match is meant to be continuing is completely nixed effectively the next day. So, um, yeah, it's. This was a whole load of rubbish in the middle of what had been a very good show up until this point. What do you think about Lawler's departure? Do you think it is for the best? Certainly from a broadcast perspective, it's... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I do think it depends on on where we go. Obviously, Michael Cole, I think, is okay. Um, I I, I quite like Taz in that spot. Um, I think he's actually got a lot of potential and he could do his like employment prospects in the long term are very like yeah it it could be very advantageous to him to become a key commentator because in ring i i think we we kind of know how they see taz um so yeah i i I mean i i think i like lawler the most because i think and this is again, it's probably the majority of this is JR, but I do think they they work incredibly well as a unit. And in the right moments and in the key moments, he can add kind of like he can add to JR's doing this like impassioned, like losing his mind over the top calls in these like main event moments or with big angles and whatnot. And, and he can, he can get in a line here or there, which I think add to it, which with, but on the whole, I could also do without the, the lecherousness of it and leering every time there's a female and like, I, I think a, a break does me as a fan and him as a commentator. Good. I don't know that he'll be a big loss to be honest um and i think uh 
it won't be long before maybe cooler heads prevail on his side and he thinks, oh right, shit, yeah, I should yeah. probably come with my tail between my legs. And uh, yeah, because uh, if Vince was considering getting rid of him, then this is the type of thing that, uh, yeah, doesn't do him too good in terms of keeping his, his job. But I think depending on who comes in, I don't think Michael Cole is particularly a great colour guy. Um, uh, But he just seems like a whole lot of okay to me. I think Taz was fine in the latter matches here. Certainly superior when Billy and I had to deal with his pay-per-view commentary debut at the UK only pay-per-view in December. Yeah. My goodness me, yeah. Uh, tucked him away when nobody would pay much attention to him and say, yeah, we've given you your commentary gig now on your Murray way, sir. But he has improved since then. The occasional SmackDown stint. And if they do give him the gig full-time, they could probably do worse. But at least for the time being, I'm not going to miss Lawler. I, I think he has to be in the right mood. And he can still add to matches. Yeah. But more of a time that he wants to add to various other parts of his anatomy, let's say that. On no fewer than two occasions on commentary in February, he uttered the words on live television, I'm not wearing any pants, JR. Yeah. Yeah, I could do without that, there to be go. fair. <laughs> yeah. Right, so moving on from that uh, abomination, we are given a backstage interview with the Brothers of Destruction. Taker says that they don't care about the gold and they're just there to cause pain and suffering, which I probably wouldn't be saying about just a head of a tag title match. I wouldn't do that to the credibility of the titles, but Undertaker's going to Undertaker, I yeah, suppose. Look, look who we're dealing with here, you know? Yes. Next up, we get to that match in question. The WWF tag team titles being defended in a triple threat tables match. The champions, the Dudley boys, defending against the Brothers of Destruction, Kane and The Undertaker, and Edge and Christian. Taker and Kane come out first. They stand at the bottom of the ramp. Edge and Christian are out next. They're sandwiched between the two opposing teams. They decide to slide off the ramp. Uh, slide off the side of the ramp and the Dudleys fight with Taker and Kane. Taker and Kane toss both Dudleys off the entrance ramp and then turn their attention to Edge and Christian. They beat up on Edge and Christian, then set up the power bomb um and power bomb go to power, set up to power bomb Edge and Christian through the table, but the Dudleys return with steel chairs and hit both Taker and Kane in the back, then in the head with the chairs. Edge and Christian then attack the Dudleys. They throw them into the ring. They get the upper hand. They go for the concerto on Bubba, but he ducks. Catapults Edge, who's holding a chair, into Christian. Dudleys then hit the what's up on Edge, and Bubba tells Devon to get the tables, but he gets cut off by The Undertaker. Christian hits an unprettier on Bubba, but then Edge and Christian are hit by tanned and power slams and diving clotheslines off the top from The Undertaker and Kane. Taker and Kane get the tables, but the Dudleys return to the fray. However, Taker and Kane end up taking control again after hitting double choke slams on both teams. Taker and Kane set up the last set up to uh, powerbomb uh, Edge and Christian through tables, but are then attacked by Haku and Rikishi, who uh, should be noted have formed a team since Haku's return at the Rumble. Uh, they fight it out on the entrance ramp. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Bubba and Devon hit a 3D for a table and win the match. The Undertaker and Kane stand on the top of the ramp and they look annoyed as the Dudleys are handed their retained belts. Rory. Another 
high quality multi-person match here. Everybody, and yeah, I really do mean everybody, seemed motivated in this one. And the action, it flew by. Another one which, if I hadn't looked it up, I wouldn't be able to tell you how long it was because they just filled every second. There was something going on. Virtually no resting here whatsoever. And that's all I ask in these type of matches. I think the outcome was correct here as well. I wouldn't go as far to say I fear for the tag division, Chris, because we, 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 we've done our fearing as far as the tag division is concerned long ago. We're sure, certainly not there anymore. Uh, I do wonder, I mean, they cycled in The Undertaker and Kane here. I'm sure the Hardys will be coming back into the picture again before too long. I think Jeff's injured at the moment, but he should be back any time now. We're going to get more combinations of the big three, which I'm fine from a match perspective, you know, as many as you want. Okay, the health and general well-being of the people involved, notwithstanding. But I do wonder if there will come a tipping point with these guys that they maybe thought each other perhaps getting close to too many times. Both the Dudleys and Edge and Christian even have made reference to that in interviews and on commentary this month too. So that's one to bear in mind. But you're always going to get the best in the matches between them. Now, even Kane and Undertaker, they weren't slouching in this one. And trust me, if they were, I'd be front row and center telling you. But for whatever reason, maybe it's because WrestleMania is coming up. They were giving it all in this one as well. And again, much like my comments at the finish of the big match earlier. You know, note what I've said and date it, because I might not be returning to comments like this anytime soon. Really good card placement on this one as well after the trash we had to endure just now and the main event right result right execution just maybe a couple of concerns going forward but if the matches if the tag division are this good then i don't think many other people other than me are going to complain which is how it should be i think yeah i i I didn't expect a whole lot from this match mainly because i guess we had Undertaker and Kane in it. For what it's worth, I think they could be, they could be a really good addition to the tag division, but it will depend on the Undertaker being willing to sell and put over some of the guys in these teams, like the Hardys, like the Dudleys, like Edge, like Christian. Um I, I think and, we call that a big ask where we're yes, from. and at this stage, right rightly to right to say it's a big ask. Um I I, I just like some of the stuff that to me is like as a a booker or someone who's like is aging and out matches or whatever i think the easiest thing to be is is not dumb like don't be contradictory but here so we've got the little pre-match stuff where taker says they don't care about the gold we're just here to inflict pain blah 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 but at the end of the match the dudleys obviously win while the brothers of destruction are uh otherwise distracted and um they just sort of stand on the ramp and look a bit pissed off and i'm like well you said you didn't really care about the belts like why are you just standing there like you could go down and like not that i want them to go down there and then beat up the dudleys that's that's the last thing as a fan of the dudleys i want to see but from a storyline perspective like why why are they not charging back down to the ring and 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 trying to put someone for a table like or something like that. Like, don't don't cut a promo beforehand saying you don't really care about the belts. You just care about pain and destruction. And then you end the match, and you don't really you you don't live up to that. Like, 
they're, they're like 15 minutes apart and i just think it's it's stuff like that really grates on me because it's so easy to avoid you just don't cut that promo and then this finish doesn't annoy me as a fan i think they should have run down and tried to put someone through a table for a bit of a pop at the end or something like that um i i just think it would have made the whole thing work a bit better but that's just me nitpicking i suppose but um yeah, I, I I thought this was a, a, a decent match, and I do think Undertaker and Kane at least um, tried here, which, I mean, at this stage, is about as much as we've gotten out of The Undertaker in a long time. So moving on to our main event, which is Kurt Angle defending his WWF title against The Rock. Um if uh, we're judging video packages here, I was full of compliments for that last one between uh, for the one between Hunter and Austin. This one here, it tells you there pretty much wasn't too much to this feud in comparison. <laughs> so we get some back and forth in the early going. Angle hits a nice belly to belly suplex. Rock comes back with right hands and some suplex of his own. I did actually have in my notes here. Um, a credit to Taz because we're so used to Lawler potentially in a scenario. If he's talking about sort of his pick or his prediction for, for a match, he will inevitably in that role, he will just pick whoever's on top at any given moment. But Taz here is putting over angle and trying to give the champion some credibility says that everyone he knows thinks the rock is going to win, but he's there picking angle fighting angles corner and trying to put him over. And I, I kind of, I like that from a commentator. I, I know Lawler's trying to play that sort of near cliche at this stage, he'll roll and just sort of, he has to be right at all costs. But um, Taz to me was a nice juxtaposition to that. Rock puts angle in a sharpshooter, but uh, angles able to get to the ropes. Um, at this stage, it looks like the fans are a little bit distracted. I think um, there were reports that, some people in the crowd were being thrown up our security and I think it diverted the attention of the crowd a little bit at this stage, but thankfully it's um, very much in the early going. Angle throws Rock out of the ring. Rock begins selling his left leg. Angle brings him back inside, but Rock hits a quick DDT and both men are down. Big Show's music hits. My face at this point, Rory, was an absolute picture. He chokes hands like <laughs> I can see it now, Chris. Yes, it's... Uh... Not the prettiest sight, if you don't mind my saying so. No, no. <laughs> yeah, he chokeslams Mike Yoda, referee Mike Yoda, then Angle, and then The Rock. Uh, as as we know, he'd been beaten by The Rock in a number one contenders match. Um, so he's come out to just lay everyone out, which has done nothing but piss me off. Tim White and Earl Hebner come out. They carry out Kyoda. Um Angle crawls for a cover on The Rock, but... <laughs> yeah, so th- this was all a bit convoluted and funny so clearly wwf don't have any medical professionals so tim white and earl hebner are out to carry kyoda out who's obviously been chokeslammed um so angle calls for the cover and at this stage uh hebner just drops kyoda who he's <laughs> helping prop up so it goes to count the cover poor mike yeah dedication from hebner but poor <laughs> poor mike rock does kick out at two hebner then goes back to help kyoda Meanwhile, The Rock gets the WWF title and hits Angle with it in the head, which is kind of like really, really heelish. And it's never really explained why he did that, why he'd resort to that. But nevertheless, Angle kicks out at two. Rock gets up, 
goes after Angle, but Angle's able to pick his ankle. Lux on the ankle lock on the leg that the Rock had been selling earlier. Angle snaps. He's shouting at Rock to tap or he'll break his fucking ankle. This was really good. Rock manages to get to the rope to break the hold. Angle breaks down Rocky, but Rock hits a spine buster. Rock comes back with a uh, Rock, sorry, then hits a people's elbow. He doesn't sell the injured ankle while he's running the ropes. Angle kick, but Angle kicks out at two, to which the fans chant bullshit. Rock stomps on Angle in the corner. Rock snop, snaps at the ref as he tries to admonish him, allowing Angle to hit a low blow. Angle then exposes the turnbuckle. Rock hits some right hands, whips Angle, uh, goes to the rock bottom, but Angle's able to hit some elbows, uh, drives his head into the exposed turnbuckle and hits an Olympic slam. The rock kicks out at two. This is a great near fall. I mean, no one expected Kurt to be winning this match, but that was about as good as near fall as you were going to get between the two men in this scenario. Rock starts, uh, rock lands some punches on angle, but angle comes back with a kick to the injured ankle. Rock counters um, a charge by sending angle into the exposed, bu- exposed buckle. Rock then hits the rock bottom. Um, Hebner messes up the count. Uh, he, he claims that Angle kicked out, even though he didn't. You kind of get a one-two, and the referee just stops. It's all a bit awkward. Rock is clearly pissed off at Hebner. He picks Angle up, hits another rock bottom, takes a moment to stare at Hebner, Hebner who is very obviously pissed off with. This time gets the free and wins the match. The Rock is the WWF champion, and rather predictably, although that doesn't mean it's not right, is heading to WrestleMania for that match with Austin. Rory. Predictable doesn't always mean bad, everybody. Not always. On our end-of-year reward show a few months ago, Chris, when we were doing our best worker category, you brought up your surprise that The Rock didn't make it into the final nominations list. And watching matches like this, I can only agree with you. I think this might well be his outright best in-ring performance more so even than his match against Benoit last July it's one of those where he knows he's in there with somebody good somebody primo good and it's not enough for him to just rest on his laurels the style of main events now in the WWF okay we've got a bit of a throwback to them earlier in the show but the real main events now they are hybrids of the brawling and the technical wrestling as Bret Hart would say and The Rock knew that and he brought it pun intended in the ring his diving clothesline looked fantastic his belly to belly suplex exemplary his punches right on the money I would probably lose the sharpshooter now this isn't my joke I can't claim credit for this one but Scott Keith has called it the crap shooter think about it once or twice uh, I think he would be well served to drop that just do I don't know a figure of four or something if you want him to have a submission move but otherwise everything else he does in the ring just looks so good so crisp so believable as well I really sense that rock matches are wrestling fights you don't normally call them wrestling fights after the age of seven years old but that's what the rocks matches feel like to me and that is a huge compliment angle was angle in a very obvious losing effort he still brought his very best in this one still keeping himself in the shop window i don't see him in the main event picture for a little while like i said earlier but he'll be back and performances like this aren't going to do him any harm unlike a lot of people i think i preferred the first half of this match to the second the reason this match is split into halves and we all know who we can blame for that one christopher 
Uh, now, in David Copperfield, the character Mr. Micawber, always very optimistic, saying something's bound to turn up. Now, if that turned out to be the big show in the WWF main event, then he might well change his opinions on what that the quality of the thing turning up would be. But it got him out of the way pretty early, I suppose, and just just, just keeps him in. Just again with WrestleMania coming up, Chris, we I don't think we can rest on our laurels too soon. Let's, Please don't do this. Let's just, just I think. Tap table yet again. I did it earlier. Hopefully, I'm not doing it too many times now. No, say his name three times and he will appear. Might be where this one's going. Anyway, yes, I think the wrestling and the quality of the first half was slightly better than the second. I think they relied, and this is just the way the match was agented, they relied on the dramatic 2.9 kick out a lot in this one. They certainly were dramatic. You can underline that word, and the crowd were with them, biting on each and every one of them, even when it was Angle who was supposedly milliseconds away from winning but it's just starting to creep in maybe a little too much now in wrestling in general that you know if somebody kicks out at 2.9 in one match okay fine if they do so again two two moves later less fine and if you have it in the next match in the next main event on the next pay-per-view then it's going to start to lose its impact it's going to be like having ice cream for tea every day but here in the moment, they did get away with it because the fans wanted the finish they got. And it was hot in the last couple of minutes, make no mistake. The finish, I think Hebner just forgot himself. There was one of the 2.9 kickouts from The Rock. I think it was after he used the belt, which again, I didn't really like, but never mind. That was the 2.9 kickout. And this is a very specific point I've noted here, but he was right over, literally right over the top of Angle's shoulder when he counted that one. And when he screwed up at the end, he was right over the top of Angle's shoulder again. So maybe just had, I don't know, a short-term memory blank and thought it was the earlier fall. I don't know. I'm trying to explain it away. I'm not sure I'm doing a very good job. But The Rock, that was Dwayne Johnson in the last few seconds of the match, wasn't it? He was letting Hebner have it in no uncertain terms. and no. Staying in character and all that, maintaining kayfabe, but I'm going to give Johnson, for, it was he, my support on this one. I don't blame him. This is an important moment to him. And that's good to see that he's taking this seriously. And if somebody's trying to screw it up, then you're going to be mad. We were talking offline uh, to Eric about this, and he said, the guy who's going to win has just hit his finisher. Just hit the fall and worry about it later. And they should have done. I think Taz's line on commentary, I'm not sure he was meant to bring up, you don't look happy, Cole, but or JR, but he was certainly, he wasn't wrong when he said it. But anyway, minor, minor complaints. It's a high quality, worthy main event through this pay-per-view. The result we all knew was coming. It's there, it's in the books. It's been a great run for Angle. I agree. I do wish he had at least one real bona fide win down the line. Maybe that will come a second time, but we are where we needed to be. And I think they call this the road to WrestleMania, Chris. And I do believe we're on it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I thought this match was genuinely better than I had expectations for because I, in in my head before the start of the show, um, I'd sat down. I, I kind of expected that three stages of hell to go on last um, rock and angle to kind of be that like route almost like a raw WWF title match in a, in a way, not necessarily in length, although we've had some good matches on raw this year that have been above the 10 minute mark, but maybe sort of like 12 to 15 minutes, um, 
and and just not it wouldn't be in that main event spot so it wouldn't have that main event feel but um obviously they put the title on last which is the correct thing to do and this match had the time and the drama to and and delivered on it um it felt like the main event even though we'd had the biggest match of the show earlier with arguably more at stake because we all knew that the rock was winning this one um yeah i think this is one of the rock's best performances if not his best performance in the ring i mean i'm totally with you there he was firing on all cylinders here where our opinions slightly vary is that i much preferred the second half of the match I, I kind of like that finishing stretch that was like um, the, the, the formula of like lots of counters and near falls. Here, I was ready for it. I, I agree that it can and will become overkill um, if we see too much of it. But here it worked. I think because we all knew that The Rock was winning, I, I think the, the element of drama kind of this match insisted on having near falls like that because we if we'd have just avoided the finishes and not kicked out of any and then by the time you're 15 minutes in and you hit one you're like well that's the finish like you you, you're at that stage um what i will say about angle and like credit to the rock for this that I think Angle came out of this match where he's obviously dropped the belt looking better than he has done any of his successful title defences. Um, I think he, yeah, that whoever many times he's retained the title on pay-per-view, we go back to Armageddon and, and last month, like he felt more of a big deal and more of a main event threat here. And that, that stretch in the latter half of the match where he's, got the ankle lock on and he's screaming tap out i'll break your fucking ankle like that was like to me the moment where it's like <laughs> he's he's three minutes removed from losing the bell but it's like we're here like we're we're at kurt angle main event wwf champion in a in a credible way not that he's not a credible champion like as he'll tell you very often he's an olympic gold medalist he's a very credible champion but in just in terms of hanging in the main event matches with the likes of Austin and Rock and Hunter and not just being someone who takes a load of crap and then gets the the sneaky or opportunistic win, that moment, I could see Kurt Angle winning or retaining a WWF title down the line in that exact scenario. Vicious ankle lock on, screaming at the man to tap out, and he just have a have it in storyline that he snaps someone's ankle and he retains the belt like we've got that in the pocket for a year's time six months time whenever we get there that's something i'd like to see um rather than more of like the opportunistic have angle dominate more matches on the ground have angle dominate more matches with suplexes like that side of his character that really from the day he won the belt kind of fell by the wayside just because of who he was in there with the next time we're here with angle i want more of this um yeah this was considering what went on in the middle of the show um i know we had a few matches in between but this obviously was in a tough spot to follow the three stages of hell match it didn't outstay its welcome it didn't go like 25 minutes and drag out it they got in there they had a great wrestling match an excellent wrestling match and both men delivered so this was a really really good way to end the show 
So, Rory, I come to you now for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. On the day of this pay-per-view, uh, Sir Donald Bradman, certainly the greatest batsman of all time, passed away. In his final test match at the Oval in August 1948, Australia versus England, he only needed to score four runs in his final innings to finish his career with an average of exactly 100. And he was clean bowled by Eric Holly's second ball, finishing up with an average of 99.94. And he looked back on his other stumps, walked away from the crease saying, yeah, funny doing that. And that's what I think about this pay-per-view that took place on the day of his death. It was so nearly, I'm going to say it, the outright best pay-per-view we have seen in the near eight years we've been doing this. It got so much right in so many ways. The performances from everybody, and I do mean everybody, were excellent. The booking was sharp. The crowd were hot. The results were correct, <laughs> mainly. <laughs> and leading into WrestleMania, you can't really ask for more. But it just slipped up here and there. Things that could and should have been tightened up. Maybe if you lose the RTC nonsense. There's, there's not a whole lot wrong with this show. There really isn't. The problem is, guys, you, I'm addressing you, Chris, and the other Chris and Dan, by giving the Royal Rumble nine and a half out of ten. Unfortunately, you've made it very difficult for us going forward. There aren't too many other places for us to go in ranking shows going forward. But with that in mind, and the fact that personally, I just think the Rumble was a slightly, and I do mean slightly, better show. I'm still going to use the B-show caveat. I would put this on a par. Thinking out loud, would I? Yes, I would. I'll put it on a par with Backlash, and I'm giving this show a 9 out of 10. It's a must-watch. It could have been the very greatest pay-per-view we've seen of any kind. It will merely have to settle for the joint best B-show. But that's a pretty strong epithet in its own right. 9 out of 10, absolute must-see. Yeah, I, I, I had originally nine written down for my rumble score and in reviewing it that went up um and and here I, I kind of i had a nine written down again and now like when i think back to them side by side i know i gave the 9.5 last month the rumble was just slightly edges it for me and i think a nine is a really accurate score for where we're at with this show one of the best pay-per-views we've covered um and i've been able to say that two months in a row at the start of this year which is remarkable and if the wrestlemania if wrestlemania coming up on the 1st of april is able to follow that pattern and we get a nine out of ten or above show there then we are looking at one of the all-time great stretches of wrestling ultimately between the rumble to now uh, to, to that wrestlemania if they if they get that wrestlemania right and um, when you look at some of the raw ingredients of that card where we're at now just the main event alone. <laughs> if they if they put it together in the right way, then we could be looking at a great, an all-time great free show stretch from the WWF. And they got close last year because last year's Rumble was very, very good. No Way Out last year was very good. And then we got to WrestleMania and they blew it. Um, and then bounced back in a big way with Backlash. Um, but here, they've got the chance again, and I think it could be better than all three of those, well, better than the Rumble from 2000 and No Way Out from 2000. Certainly these two shows this year. 
they need to deliver on WrestleMania in a big way. And we could be looking at like an all time great stretch of WWF wrestling. Um, yeah, nine out of 10 for me. Really fun show. The three stages of hell more than delivered. Um, Rock and Angle was excellent. The Intercontinental title match was really good. Stephanie and Trish, very good. Uh, tag match, good. Uh, we don't, uh, hardcore match, fine, I suppose. We can we stop there. You can definitely yeah. stop if there. If we stop there, then I, this is potentially a 9.5, but I think a 9 is 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 about where this show sits. So coming out of the stellar pay-per-view, there are two two more things I'd like for us to discuss before we wrap up the show for the month. As we know from No Way Out on Raw the next night, we were getting William Regal teaming with Stephanie McMahon to take on Vince McMahon and Trish Stratus. Before we get to that, we see Vince backstage mix, mixing a bucket of slop that he says he's going to use in the match. So we get to the intergender tag. Trish and Stephanie get us started and we have more of the same from No Way Out again. Much better than it had any right to be between the two of them once more. However, Trish eventually, after a couple of minutes, makes the tag to Vince. At this point, Regal hops up the hops off the apron and refuses to tag in, leaving Stephanie to beg off from Vince. Vince calls for a microphone and tells us how he always gets what he wants. Regal at this stage brings the slot bucket in and Vince tells Trish to come in and get it before he grabs her and pulls her into the ring. Vince screams at the referee that the match is officially over and he's fired if he doesn't leave. Trish is confused. She doesn't understand what's going on. So Stephanie comes in and slaps her. Regal takes her out with an inverted neck breaker, and it's a swerve. One of those swerves, the old McMahon swerve. Vince tells, us Steph- tells Stephanie to grab the mop. Stephanie rubs a full mop of the bucket of slop in Trish's face. He mocks Trish for thinking she was daddy's little girl when all she ever was was daddy's little plaything. And like all of his- all toys, he soon got bored of playing with her. Vince declares playtime's over before he dumps the entire bucket of slop over Trish's head and she's left retching in the puddle of filth. We get replays of this after the break before Michael Cole tries to interview Trish, but she walks away crying. And there we have it, Rory, the payoff. (laughs) Some payoff. What do we make of this storyline? And as we stood on the 26th of Feb, this angle to end it all. Yeah, I think we were all retching in the pile of filth. I certainly felt like it when I was watching it. Hey, let's get to the good, for there is some first. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I don't think at any point, be it at No Way Out or on Raw before this match, Vince told Regal that when he said to him, you know what to do, at no point did he say he got it wrong, did he? No. So at No, at no Way Out, Vince says to him, you told me you knew what to do. He never once said what Regal did was wrong. No. He didn't say it on No Way Out. He didn't say it on Raw. So that was a really clever way into the swerve, I thought. That had us buying that Regal had got it wrong. It turned out he hadn't. Almost makes Regal's performance in No Way Out even better, really, where he just happened to lock upon without being told what was the right way. So that was good stuff. That was very tight storytelling. I just wish that the, the Newmont had been anything other than this and yes we all know Vince is meant to be the heel first off we've seen him reunite with Stephanie that's twice they've done this in the last two months where it looked like they were splitting apart and they weren't so we don't need to see that for the second time in 10 weeks or whatever and secondly there was the very strong implication that 
Trish herself was in the wrong here, that she was stupid enough to get involved with the married owner of the company she worked from, as if what did she expect to happen? And then having to be buried underneath, we're going to euphemistically call it slop. I think it's a very specific type of substance at the end. Just, we talk about it a lot, Chris, too often, unfortunately, but the optics of what this represents, I just, it's not what I watch wrestling for, sorry. I, I get on my high horse about this sort of thing, and no apologies for that. It doesn't need to go in these places. But you've said those three words before, Chris, not that I want to trump you, but I'm sure you've already got it written down anyway. Those three words, audience of one. And he clearly loves this stuff. No matter how many times he is told, and I do hope it's a lot of times he's told by other people that they don't, this sadly is what we're going to get. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, you're, you're so spot on with the, the optics of it and just kind of the whole storyline for me. Um, like, I this isn't to discredit individual segments or individual performances within those segments, but like for months now, this storyline um, between Vince and Linda, and this is kind of the branch of that, the very public affair with Trish and Stephanie being obviously pissed off about it. And just, I, I don't really need that much McMahon family drama in my, WWF like I, I and I certainly don't need it kind of to the detriment of someone like Trish who has more than proved at this stage that she's definitely got potential like as a worker and she holds her own backstage and I mean when you look in segments between Trish and Steph, I mean, they're not exactly doing Shakespeare, but one certainly has more acting chops than the other, I would say. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, it's all a bit weird and demeaning, and I think you encapsulate that feeling perfectly with the summary. It's not why I watch my wrestling. And I don't think it's why many people watch their wrestling. I hope um, not. I really no. hope not. Yeah. Um audience of one indeed. The electricity here, I can tell you. And look at the rock. Obviously not pleased. The reason I'm out here is I got a couple of things to get off my chest. Uh-oh. First of all, Rock. Congratulations on winning the WWF title last night. Yeah. What? Kurt Angle can cry all he wants, but the fact is the better man won, so more power to you. Boy, a lot of props being dealt out tonight. But I got some advice for you. As long as you're the WWF champion, as long as you're going to WrestleMania as the WWF champion, Stone Cold Steve Austin, advice to you is just to stay healthy. Uh-oh, stay healthy. All you got to do is stay healthy. What's he mean by that? Don't leave. Uh-oh. Maybe you should let him leave, Rock. That might be the better way. This could explode right in our faces here tonight. 
Oh, he ain't leaving. There they are, The Rock, a WWE champion, the man The Rock will meet, Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania. The Rock appreciates your advice. Stone Cold, The Rock has some advice of his own. Oh boy. The Rock has two words of advice for you. Simply put, get ready. Oh my. <laughs> I don't think Austin has to be encouraged to get ready. What a WrestleMania main event this is going to be, and you're looking right at it. But I suppose it's only fitting we end the show talking about potentially the, the biggest match. I mean, arguably the biggest match we've covered. Um, Might even be the, well, as long as WrestleMania 3 is in the conversation. And I suppose WrestleMania 6. But yeah, the biggest we've ever done. No yes. question about it. And the main event, now official main event of WrestleMania 17, The Rock defending the WWF title against Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think um, we start the last Raw of the month, and obviously we start with the new WWF champion. <clears throat> the Rock is out to cut a promo. Austin eventually interrupts, and we have a tense stare down. Austin gets on the mic. He congratulates The Rock, saying that Angle can cry all he wants, but in his view, the better man won. Austin tells The Rock that if he's going to WrestleMania as the WWF, WWF champion, then Austin has some advice. Stay healthy. Austin turns to leave the ring, uh, but Rock stops him, and they're back to locking eyes. The crowd are going nuts. The tension's really good already, and The Rock tells Austin that he appreciates the advice, but he has his own for Austin in the form of two words, get ready. The two continue their stare down before parting ways and the build to WrestleMania and the biggest match of this project has officially begun. We cut to the end of Raw. Austin makes the save for Rock when Angle was looking to break the champion's angle. ankle. Sorry. Rock looks like he's going to thank Austin by setting up to hit him with the rock bottom, but Albert ends up taking it instead and the two men stare each other down to end the show. So no physical confrontation yet as we get to the end of February on Raw. But we have the first interaction, now the match is official, between the two men, Rory. Well, two things. Number one, I hope that's the last time we mentioned Albert in the build-up to this match. <laughs> <laughs> one of these things is not like the other and all of that. Yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, I'm ready for this match already. and I'm just you know, climbing the walls that I've got to wait another four weeks now. I just love that interaction between them. So simple. Stay healthy. Get ready. That is how you do it. Obviously, we've got lots of weeks of TV, a problem they didn't have in 1990. Hogan and Warrior lock eyes at the Royal Rumble. Next day, it's announced it's Hogan Warrior at WrestleMania 6. Cut the occasional promo on each other, aired on Superstars or Challenge or Prime Time or whatever. And there you go. You can keep them apart. Here, they've got four Raws and four SmackDowns to go until we get to WrestleMania. And I hope that they take their lead from the build to the match that we've just been talking about in No Way Out. They don't have to make it the crux of the storyline like they did with Triple H and Austin. But 
I don't see any real reason to have them exchanging rock bombs or stunners and what have you. I hope they don't go down the tired ECW trope of somehow them fluking their way into being the tag team champions and how are they going to coexist and all of that nonsense. We don't need any of that. Just have them cut promos on each other. I don't think it's realistic to expect, in all honesty, that there won't be any physicality between them, but it should at least be kept to a minimum. Just make it about the two biggest faces, the two biggest names in the company right now, very possibly the biggest we've ever spoken about. Certainly since the modern era, since the WrestleMania era even. And I do trust them. It might be misplaced, but I do trust them to get it right they need to make this feel as special as they possibly can because the match does sell itself, but they don't need to overcook it. I wouldn't waste any flights of fancy ideas on this one. I'd keep it as simple as you possibly can. Your two biggest faces are going for the world title at WrestleMania. That stuff writes itself. You don't have to put any more on that. And if it's, we just have tense, as you rightly said there, Chris, exchanges like the one we saw a couple of days ago, just maybe two or three of those over the next month, then we really will be in business in all senses of the phrase. One thing I did kind of note, just just off that, something we saw at No Way Out, and then um, on that first Raw after the pay-per-view, uh, and I don't know if I'm putting too much stock into stuff and reading into things that weren't there, but I did highlight, and we spoke about the, the the belt shot from Rock onto Angle during that match, and then we cut to the end of Raw, and obviously Austin's there, but he he involves himself to the Rock's advantage, and while doing this, the Rock's reaction is to get ready to attack Austin from behind. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, is is am I reading too much in that the the Rock is is of the two. It may not be a full-blown heel turn between now and WrestleMania. And I think if you were going to do that, it's, it's too late. We're four weeks away. Like, But is that is that kind of where we're going here? Like Rock coming out of WrestleMania maybe as a heel, more, more, more a defined heel, and certainly playing the heel to Austin in the build. Yeah, I never thought of that, but I think you're onto something. I wonder if they're just trying to cover themselves because WrestleMania is being held in Houston, Texas. So mm-hmm. if you're going face v face in the main event there, I'll give you three guesses, an extra one, as to who's <laughs> going to be cheered the most in that one. So they're probably giving themselves an extra storyline out for why that might happen. I don't necessarily mind it, but they need to be careful here. They don't end up playing with fire and almost going too far. I, I don't think, A, I think it's far too late to do a full heel turn on The Rock now anyway. Two, I don't think they really want him to be a heel. Three, they need to make sure they don't do it too often over the next four weeks where he ends up being one almost by default. And then they're really tied into a storyline bind coming out of Mania. But maybe doing the subtle, the old-fashioned Bret Hart face-to-face thing where he leans heel in the match and they're just giving themselves a couple of reasons as to why that could happen. I'd be just about okay with that. But I would not go any further. And I think a a large part of it may just be Austin has the character like Austin's been a face for for years now, 
but in doing so that character is the type that could just fly in out of nowhere and hit another baby face with a stunner like Mm -hmm. and and that's not we don't think of that as a as the the seeds being planted of a heel turn that's just stone cold steve austin and and the rock is now picking up some of those tendencies and maybe they're just sort of new facets of the character and they're both playing that kind of like anti-hero face role it could just be that and they're just making it because i i don't doubt that like before we get to wrestlemania austin's hitting a stunner on the rock and rock is laying the rock is going to hit a rock bottom those two things will happen Mm -hmm. and maybe it's just so in the seed of like almost like making the characters more on the same level rather than the rock being this like outright baby face and austin being the the very unique type of baby face he's been for the last couple of years it could just be that they were just tendencies that started to creep into the rock's character as this match became official that stood out to me and to me this match is at its biggest if you do it face v face oh yeah you've got to do that like you said you, that last month yeah yeah but the the two stars like that no one else has got stars this big and no one else in the company as over as triple h is he's not going to be an austin like it's it's a it's a unique level of stardom and you've got two of them at the same time like you need to do the face v face to make the most of it um and i think well judging by their track record so far in 2001 we're shaping up for them to do it nicely, but we'll have to get through March's TV until then, as WrestleMania is in on the 1st of April. So no pay-per-view next month, but um, four weeks of TV before we get to WrestleMania. And it'll be interesting to see how they keep intrigue high and don't undercut or diminish any of the story that that is here with The Rock and Austin. And I, I, I think my take on it would be keep it simple. So it, again, it sells itself. Just let it do that. But that will do it for the February edition of the WWF show of the Wrestling Twenty Years Ago podcast. Rory, thanks for being on the show again. Um, always great to have you on with your first show of the year. Um, Want to throw in some plugs? I know you're a very busy man. I am. It's great to be here as always, Chris. And what was really probably the final show of our regularly scheduled programming on these shows. It's uh, it's going to take quite the turn from next month on. But yes, you can hear me elsewhere on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. I've got a couple of shows there for you. I've got the special relations with Ben Locke and Callum McDougall, where we talk about anything we fancy, really. Bit of modern day wrestling, bit of retro stuff. Um, we're doing a new feature where we analyze a superstar interview. Uh, we talk about the most recent one where and same as that, it seems so weird talking about the network and the Broken Skull Sessions and Sasha Banks, but that's the thing we talk about on this month's show. And we'll be looking at a different interview every month, so do check that one out. And we also live watch the Sasha Banks versus Bailey match from TakeOver in 2015. You see, jumping seamlessly from timeline out, out to some. That's how we do it on these shows, but yeah, do check that one out. And also, I have a show called Senior Video, where me and a guest every month review a videotape from the Coliseum video, home video classics section. I've said video far too many times in that sense <laughs> of the WWE Network. Most recent show on there, myself and Sean Kidd looking at the Heart Foundation tape from 1987. Bit of a change of pace, just a leisurely stroll through the videos there. Not really a deep dive, just picking out 
going through each match and segment, anything you might have missed that you might want to check out, for example, there's a stellar match from 1986 between Brett and Ricky Steamboat on there that I'm going to give you a recommendation for free. But yes, that's where I am on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. But of course, here on Wrestling 20 Years Ago, Chris, is where for the next few weeks it's all really going to happen. Yeah, uh, I mean, how much of our plans f- for March are, are we uh, revealing at this stage? Are we, are we keeping the suspense out there for a few more weeks? Uh, it's, because it's certainly a big, I think we a need big to, month. Yeah. It's uh, Eric on the WCW show hinted at where we're going. I think we'll leave it at that. Well, yeah. uh, uh, clear your, all I will say is clear your own listening schedules for a good nine or ten hours, everybody. You're going you're gonna to need them. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of content coming out covering some important stuff, which is kind of like the key. I mean, you've you've said it before, but like this whole project is, is in a way felt like it was building to where we are now. Yeah. Um, and it's really exciting to be there. I know everyone on all of the shows are going to do their best to deliver some of the best shows we've done. Um, and I think it's going to be uh, really exciting to be uh, a listener of this show, probably the most exciting time. Um, so if you've stuck with us from, if it's been seven years or, or if you're just <laughs> discovering the show now, I think you're about to be rewarded in a big way. So uh, yeah, stay tuned, I, w- I would say. But We're for now... The hard yards, the big hours, but it's all going to be worth it. So stay with us, everybody. Our biggest shows yet, and we can't wait for you to hear them all. But for now, um, I have been your host for this episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And until next time... Goodbye.